0: hello hillsiders i wanted to use this opportunity to keep in touch with uh, the church in this time where we are told to stay in as much as possible there's so much going on now and there is a lot of fear because people are losing their jobs businesses are you know lots of businesses have closed down because of what's going on with the corona scare uh they're afraid of hospitals being over swamped when the uh, coronavirus starts hitting you know in mass numbers and uh people are worried about their livelihoods they're worried about their health they're worried about dying and maybe relatives dying and so uh, i was listening well i was i was looking in passages that would relate to things like this. And then I ran across this uh, sermon by Lee Strobel, and he was on uh, Focus on the Family, and he was talking about uh, looking to God in times of trouble, in times of fear. And it was so good that I decided to put it on here so that uh, everyone could benefit from it. And so for this devotion, um, I'm going to let you listen to Lee Strobel talking about, you know, turning to God instead of fear.
1: Well, I don't know if you've heard, but there is a virus going around. In fact, the experts say, you know what, we're in the middle of a pandemic. But I'm not talking right now about the coronavirus. I'm talking about a different kind of virus. I'm talking about the virus of worry. Of course, our legitimate concern over the coronavirus is fueling a lot of our worries these days. But the point I want to make is this our tendency to fret and to worry and to be anxiety ridden and to be fearful goes far beyond just the current medical crisis. One prominent psychologist called worry one of the most urgent problems of our day. I remember when I was growing up, I always worried that my brothers were going to beat me up. Uh, when I got to high school, I worried about wearing the right clothes and hanging around with the right crowd and then getting into the right college. Then I went to college. I started worrying about getting drafted into the Vietnam War. Uh, I worried about whether I get a job after I graduated. And then I graduated, and then I'm at the Chicago Tribune, and I used to worry about getting scooped by the competition or getting sued for libel. And then I became a father, and I started to worry every time my kids would get sick or um, any time they get a call from a member of the opposite sex. I mean, I wish I could honestly tell you that since i become a follower of Jesus Christ, all of those worries have kind of dissipated, they've evaporated, and now everything is full of joy and peace, but... That's not the truth, and you know that. I mean, there's still days when I stare into the darkness at night, and now I worry about my grandchildren. And now I worry whether I'm going to make my next book deadline, or I worry that my cholesterol is going up, or I worry that the coronavirus is going to come knocking at my door. So let's be honest. We all worry, don't we? In fact, recent studies showed that two out of five Americans worry every single day. And it's not just a problem in our culture. We can go back to biblical times, and we see that biblical figures experience it too, going all the way from King David all the way up to the Apostle Paul. Even Jesus endured incredible anxiety before he was crucified. Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 38 tell us this. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. In fact, his anxiety was so intense that Luke adds this detail in Luke 22, verse 44. He says, and being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, when I was a skeptic, I used to think, come on, give me a break. Who's ever heard of sweating blood? Certainly, that just shows that these gospel writers were making this stuff up. That's exaggerated. That's hyperbole. But then I did some research. You know what I found out? There is a known medical condition called hemotidrosis. And in this particular condition, it's where severe anxiety causes the release of chemicals that break down the capillaries in our sweat glands. And as a result, there's a small amount of bleeding into our sweat glands, and our sweat actually does come out tinged with blood. In fact, I found an article in the Journal of Medicine that analyzed 76 cases of hematidrosis And they concluded the most common causes were acute fear and intense mental contemplation. But here's the difference between Jesus and us. Jesus was in anguish because he knew what was coming. We often wrestle with worry because we don't know what's coming. In other words, in many ways, it's the uncertainty over the future that fuels our worries. The unknown seems ominous, and it seems dangerous. Now, there are times when worrying can actually have good effects. Worrying can be good, when it's what psychologists call productive worrying, when it causes us to pursue answers and solutions to problems that we're facing. But when worry and anxiety are allowed to run amok, as they do, by the way, in uh, one out of every 10 Americans. When that happens, physicians tell us it can lead to all kinds of health issues. It can lead to depression. It can lead to insomnia. It can lead to premature uh, coronary artery disease. It can even cause heart attacks. So when worry sets in, when anxiety sets in, what should a Christian do? Well, I found that Christians have some advantages when um, we wrestle with worry because we know, we recognize what worry really is. For us, worry is a form of spiritual amnesia, spiritual amnesia. Now, we all know what amnesia is, right? (laughs) I used to know. I, I, I had, it was on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> no, we don't know what amnesia is. Well, let me tell you what spiritual amnesia is. Spiritual amnesia is when we get so worried and nervous and anxiety ridden over our future because we've forgotten God's track record of helping us in our past. Let me repeat that. Spiritual amnesia is when we get worried and nervous and anxiety-ridden over our future because we've forgotten God's track record of helping us in our past. Let me give you an example from the Bible, from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. This is where Jesus has been teaching to 5,000 people. And verses 35 through 37 say this. Late in the afternoon, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Tell the people to go away to the nearby villages and farms and buy themselves some food, for there's nothing to eat here in this desolate spot, and it's getting late. In (laughs) other words, the disciples are worried. We got this huge crowd sitting here. What do you do? What do you do? It seems impossible to deal with this situation, but Jesus puts it back on them. It says, but Jesus said, you feed them. And that that freaks the disciples out. Now they're really worried. Now they're really wringing their hands. They say, with what? They say, it would take a fortune to buy food for all of this crowd. And the disciples are kind of in a panic. Why? Because they were in the midst of spiritual amnesia. And they forgot Mark chapter 1, where Jesus supernaturally healed Peter's mother of a fever, and where verse 34 says he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And they forgot how in Mark chapter 2, he healed a paralytic man right there in Capernaum. In Mark chapter 3, where he healed a man's shriveled hand right there in the synagogue. And in Mark chapter 4, how he calmed the storm that was threatening to capsize the boat that the disciples were in. And they forgot how in Mark chapter 5, he raised a 12-year-old girl from the dead. So right before their own eyes, Jesus had repeatedly demonstrated miraculous power over sickness and over nature and even over death. And if they had remembered all that, they wouldn't have been so nervous about him merely feeding 5,000 people. They would have relaxed and said, Oh, he's got this. He can handle this. And in the end, he did. He ended up multiplying five loaves of bread and a couple of fish and feeding the entire crowd. But here's the kicker just two chapters later, Jesus is again talking to a crowd, this time 4,000 people. And guess what? He says he wants to feed them too. But how do the disciples react? Do they keep their cool and say, oh, no, we've seen this all before. No problem. Jesus has got this handled. No. They are in the midst of spiritual amnesia. They whine and they complain and they get all worried and they grouse. And in Mark 8, verse 4, they say, it says, and his disciples replied to Jesus, how can anyone fill and satisfy these people with loaves of bread here in this desolate and uninhabited region? That's a perfect example of spiritual amnesia. If they would remembered remember how he fed the 5,000, they'd say, of course, he can feed 4,000. And naturally, he did, this time with seven loaves of bread and a few fish. And so we hear those stories, and we stop, and we think, well, what kind of idiots were these disciples? But then, say, wait a minute. What about me? What about all the times when I get mired in worry? because I've forgotten how how God has come through for me time after time after time in the past. Of course, the the antidote to forgetting is remembering. And the Bible gives us a specific prescription for how to get over our tendency towards spiritual amnesia. We find it in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, we pray. We pray. Let's face it. It's hard to be paralyzed by worry and at the same time be praying to God. But notice, this is a specific kind of prayer. This is a prayer that specifically includes thanksgiving. And so the first step we can take as we pray is to practice what some people call thank God therapy. Thank God therapy. Here's what that means. First, we pour out our hearts to God. and We tell him honestly about the anxiety we're going through. I like what a friend of mine tweeted just a couple days ago. She said, Praying has a better chance of changing tomorrow than worrying. (laughs) I thought that was really good. Praying has a better chance of changing tomorrow than worrying. So we pray. But the second thing is part of our prayers, we thank God. We thank him for the promises that he has made to us, and we thank him for his track record of caring for us. For example, we thank God that he knows all about our present individual situation and that he wants the very, very best for us. We thank him for his promise that he will meet our needs. We thank him for his promise that he will cause whatever happens to his followers ultimately to work together for our good. We thank him for the ways he's come through for us in the past, even, even when we've been in the midst of doubt. And then we, we enumerate some of those examples and we thank him individually for how he came through for us. We thank him for his promise that he'll never desert us. We thank him that he intervenes in our circumstances at exactly the right time in exactly the right way to accomplish exactly what he wants to accomplish in our lives. We thank him for his promise in Isaiah 41, verse 10, that says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And we thank him for his promise in Joshua 1, verse 9 says, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Can you see how this expression of thanksgiving, what this accomplishes? The first thing it accomplishes is it appropriately honors God for who he is and what he does. In other words, this is a form of how we worship God. But then secondly, it refocuses our thinking. Instead of merely being mired in our worries, we're reminded of his power. We're reminded of his promises to care for us. We're reminded of his commitment to us, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. It reminds us of all these things, and that helps us refocus our thinking. 1 Peter 5-7 tells us, cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. In Psalm 56, verse 3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Friends, Christianity does not immunize us against the virus of doubt, but you know what it does? It gives us a good treatment plan that works. I mean, I counted 18 times in the Gospels where Jesus specifically tells people, do not be afraid. He said in John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world does. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In other words, remember, I'm still in control, God says. He says, I'm still on the throne. So the first thing we do in dealing with our worries is to practice, thank God, therapy. The second step we can take is to help God turn our anxieties into solutions. And we do that by turning our what-if questions into how-can-I questions. Let let me explain what I mean by that. Often when we're wracked by worry, we fall into a pattern of torturing ourselves with these what-if questions. You know, what if I can't pay my mortgage this month? What if uh, I do a terrible job at my interview for my promotion at work? What if my doctor gives me bad news? And what if the stock market continues to plummet? What if I, I, I don't get that promotion at work? And as a result, we go into this spiral of worry. As Corey Tinboom said, worry is like a rocking chair. It keeps you moving, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Instead, ask God to help you reframe the question. Instead of dwelling on what if, turn the question into how can I? For example, you might be fretting about whether you're going to pass a course at college. And you're really worried about this final exam. And you've been torturing yourself with the what if questions. What if I fail this final exam? Everything's riding on this final exam. What if I fail this final exam? Instead, turn that into a how can I question like this. How can I prepare properly so I can do well on the exam? Now we move from the worry side to the solution side. Or let's say you're stuck in a pattern of asking yourself, what if my girlfriend dumps me? What am I going to do? What if my girlfriend dumps me and it's leading to anxiety? It's leading to depression. Instead, turn that into a how can I question? How can I deepen my relationship with my girlfriend or maybe arrange a candid conversation with her about how we're really doing in our relationship? Or maybe you're fixated on, you know, what if the coronavirus infects me? What if I get the coronavirus? Instead, ask God to help you seek solutions. Ask the question, how can I take appropriate precautions to stay safe? See what I mean? When we turn our what if questions into how can I questions, it can get us out of the cycle of worry and can help us concentrate on solutions. The Bible says this in Proverbs 16, verses 3 and 4. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end. But before we end, I have to address one other worry that is so common among a lot of people. This is sort of the elephant in the room. Why are we so afraid of the coronavirus? Because it's 10 times more lethal than the common flu. And many of us worry about death. In fact, 35% of Americans are so worried about dying that they're afraid to even talk about the subject. They just avoid the topic altogether. Death really is the biggest fear in our culture.